sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. It is a Wednesday, June 26, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 269. Push enough buttons and pretty soon something will work. My name is Caleb Egg. Waiting while Caleb fixes everything. I'm Rob Vanhoff. So uh, we have construction out my door today. So you might hear, I don't know, hammering, jackhammering, who knows. I'm not sure what just happened with YouTube, but they didn't like us for seven minutes, and I couldn't stream. I just kept pressing it's their, buttons. It's their algorithms are going to slowly filter us out. <laughs> no, no, I actually, they, they got a new dashboard, and I don't know how to use it yet, so. Well, what up, everybody? We got people slowly filtering in. I think there's actually possibly another live stream of us right now that's just black, but people might be in that one, too, so who knows? That's weird because I couldn't hear any of the intro music. That's why I was talking to you and I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know it had started. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's okay. I didn't need to hear it. But let's. That's uh, odd. Oh well. But you're not going to you're not going to need to hear anything except for me. Yeah, we already heard it. Maybe you didn't, but we did. I didn't, so I have to like. So Rob and I have talked uh, in the past week. We have taken down the producer credit. Those who already have a producer credit, you get double the producer credit. If you bought in the springtime, you're rolling over into the summer. And the reason why is because we're going to take some time off. We're going to take, we don't know, possibly up to a month off. Now, there's multiple reasons for this. Number one, I'm, I should be having a child here within the next day or two. Woot woot. Yeah. Um, we, need a, we did an audio clip for that. You know, I, the other thing the is my sound, my soundboard wouldn't work today either. So I don't, yeah. That's the other thing. We got to work out all of our technical issues and come back better and stronger. Um, I'm reformatting the way that we're going to do show notes. Um, and so anyway, you know, obviously with a new child... My wife wants me to take a good amount of time off to be able to take care of the other children that we already have running around the uh, the casa, <laughs> which I understand and, and I get, of course. Um, and then both Rob and I will be getting ready to travel, hopefully, to Ontario. And uh, we're going to go to Ontario, we believe, in September. we got to buy tickets. So it's not a for sure deal until Expedia tells me that the ticket is mine. Who knows? But we have to prepare for that. We're going to have a three-day conference. Actually, it's a two-day conference and then a third day for just 
a specific group of, of leaders that we'll be uh, interacting with. Uh, my father's coming with us as well. It's going to be a good time. So I got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of planning to do. We've got a lot of writing to do. Um, I've been, I've been experimenting with different formats of um, how to create different aspects of, of teaching materials, trying to understand what would be best for people and how, how people can get the most out of, out of stuff. So we've been really busy and, uh, yeah, we've had people offer us suggestions on good show topics, but I think, you know, the best show topics I think for us come from people sending emails in, but then also on top of that, from a healthy uh, dose of us studying and being excited about stuff. You know, when people write in and they're like, hey, why don't you, you know, we got a huge email today. I I did. And it was somebody offering a show topic. And it's just not something that I care about at all. And, I, you know, that might be wrong. But at the same time, like, if you don't care about the topic that you're talking about, it's not really going to be that good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like, trust me, you don't want us to talk about right, this. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway. Well, Boy. one thing that uh, we do care about <clears throat> is the canon of Scripture. Now, we've, we've bounced around ideas. We've talked before about books like Enoch and Jasher. And <clears throat> there's this uprising within the Hebrew Roots movement, which is just totally ridiculous to try to bring these books back <clears throat> and try to canonize them. Now, this push is actually, I think, being fueled. I think the gasoline being thrown on the fire within that movement is comes from a Christian author, not from a Hebrew Roots author. I've got my I've got my endorsement here too, so we can get to it the right time. If you're going to buy a book, if you're going to buy, I'm actually doing work Look, currently. Yeah, I'm be- doing now. There's multiple multiple aspects of this. I'm currently doing work in the apocrypha, and the reason why is because I'm trying to chart the progression of the apocryphal books and what place within the believing world they had up in through the reformation and the reason why is because i'm trying to show that they did not hold a place of canonicity until the catholic church um decided to canonize them at the at the council of trent and and the and the reasoning behind that i think what's so funny is so many people in in the hebrew roots movement are are like oh the catholic church is from babylon and oh the catholic church is is the wicked you know whatever and then what they do is they jump on board with Catholic theology and try to add add to the canon. That's a Catholic doctrine. I think it's it's just ironic. It's just an ironic turn of events. Um So anyway, the Christian author I'm talking about, should, do you want to name names here? Are you talking about the? Are we talking about the Ed Sefer guy or no, the, uh, no, the that, Enoch? Uh, yeah, I'm talking about. I'm talking about Heiser. Oh, the, yeah. He's. Uh, I don't think he would say Enoch's part of the canon, but he's saying to understand Matthew, you need to like you have to understand Enoch. That's what I'm understanding. I don't think he would suggest, and that's. 
that's kind of the that's the tightrope I guess he's trying to walk is what it seems like to me. Now don't get uh, me wrong, I want to make it very clear. Dr. Heiser is a uh, a respected scholar uh, within the uh, the biblical realm, and uh, he well, presents at SBL often. He worked for Logos for many years, and he is a very nice gentleman who uh, is has always been very gracious to me, and and uh, and and honestly, he's a joy to talk to. With that said, I think that he has made some significant missteps in his um, in his teaching on on the council of the gods and and whatnot go go on this is actually this is your thing the kind of the straw that broke i was you know i watched a bunch of his youtube videos and the one of the things that one of the straws that if there was multiple straws that broke the camel's back proverbially was his dating of yeshua's birth like trying to use the stars and you know um astronomical data to turn back the clock and say this is when Yeshua was born giving a jewish month which is just um you know with intercal there's just no way to know that and it's the kind of thing that to me it reminds <laughs> you know have you heard jump the shark it was it actually i lived with jump the shark because i watched happy days and then they finally like they didn't know what to do to keep the show running so they had him water ski I and he had to, yeah i saw that to jump the, the pool or no no it wasn't what that one wasn't the water ski it was a motorcycle i think jump the shark in the pool uh, and so from then on it was such a dis- dismal failure it was like everything was like they jumped the shark you know they it was like that um is that really now hang on just a second i just yeah i'm happy something. days fonzie was gonna is that jump really the where that comes from yeah that's exactly <laughs> and it was such a, a dismal failure that it became like like the uh, the idiom was like you learn they, something new every jump day the shark so you can walk, go online and you can find like fonzie jumps shark happy days um that's awesome uh so anyway uh i i would encourage people instead of buying like an one of these new bibles that costs like 100 bucks where it's quote bible where they add all these books and they and then it's the people who are don't even read the hebrew or there's so many problems. I would encourage you to spend way less money and get the paperback version. You could for like 20, usually I think like Christian book distributors for 20 bucks, you can get the, uh, the James Charlesworth double volume set. I happen to have the hard copy cause I got, I got it, it. For a long time ago. Now they have it in paperback. It's two volumes. Right. I use it uh, constantly. Yeah. It's the old Testament pseudepigrapha volumes one and two. And you've got Enoch, First Enoch, second Enoch, third Enoch, Jubilees, all the I, no, oh, hang on, just testaments of the patriarchs. You've I, got I, the I, Baruchs. I, you've got the wisdoms. You've got the all the good all stuff. Oh, for nine dollars and ninety nine cents, yeah. you can and get here's it the thing. Each one <laughs> is given a thorough right. translator's introduction, historical um, uh, situation, original languages, manuscript script problem, translation problems. Where it where it gels with the New Testament, where it doesn't, its place in early Jewish world, oh, it's it's and it's extensive footnotes. It's got a semi decent critical apparatus. So if there's variant readings, you've got a footnote. You know this Et Sefer thing is not going to give you. It's a waste of your money. You know, get something that you're actually going to be able to intelligently take away some clear 
it'll help you give a clear picture of reality. With that don't, said, though, don't I, invest in fantasy. Don't I, invest in fantasy. That's that's that would be my core take point there. Hang on, just a sec though. It needs to be very clearly stated. I do not take the apocrypha or the pseudepigrapha as canon in any way, shape, or form. No, that well, we're talking about re historical research as well. That's right. Um, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And what you'll find is that even the book, the the manuscripts of Enoch don't even agree with each other. Right? Jubilees and Enoch don't agree with each other, and the text history itself is super, super complicated on each of those. Um, it's it's like the Jude, you know, they say, oh, Jude quotes the book of Enoch. Well, no, he just says Enoch prophesied. And if you take the the actual quote and you line it up with what we have from the actual surviving Enoch, we have Greek, we have Ethiopic, we have tiny fragment in Aramaic from Dead Sea Scrolls. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess it's the same quote, but it's like been stretched and twisted and added in all these different ways. So it's an, it reaffirms what I have always said. It's a fluid oral tradition of just what Jude repeats. Jude is not citing the book of Enoch. He's citing a prophecy that is was known orally and had a fluidity because different communities remembered it differently. And that quote served as the foundation for the community that took, and well, we just need to know more about Enoch. And so they ended up creating all these stories about Enoch and trying to make that as a foundation to their religion, to their worldview. And a lot of that is a response, obviously, in the Hellenistic era to Greek mythology of, of gods mating with women and having hybrid offspring and stuff like that. So I'm on a, I'm on a, uh, a, a, a research mission here. What are you looking for? Well, everybody in the chat room said, oh, they're talking about Pigeon because this guy Pigeon is the guy who created oh, the, the Ed Sefer. The Ed Sefer yeah, they're yeah. talking about something. They're talking about NYS TV. Pigeon doesn't work for NYS TV, but they, but they work, you know, but they, they complement each other. I've never heard of NYS TV. And so I've been looking at... Now you see TV. Hmm. Why do people watch this stuff? I mean, yeah. no offense to people in the chat room, but I mean, what's the draw? People want to, they want to. Well, people in the chat room apparently know all about it. So why, I mean, my question oh, is for, my them, question yeah. is for, uh, my, my question is for the chat room. I mean, what's the draw to NYS TV? It's a lot of conspiracy from my understanding. It's another person. It's the conspiracy sensationalism. Okay. Mm. So it's like, yes, that a big Hebrew roots. It's a big Hebrew roots channel. Can I, can I ask? Oh, that's a great question. Can I ask what is the draw to any channel, even yours? That's a great question. Yeah. Ask them. Why are they watching? <laughs> <laughs> why are you watching us right now? I think that the draw to uh, to Messiah Matters, well, I don't know, to be honest with you. We never thought there was going to be a draw. We've talked about this a lot. A lot That's of why we times. joke we had 36 listeners. Yeah, exactly. Now we have 3,600 subscribers. Um, you know, I don't know. I think that there is a draw for the the YouTube channels that I watch and the 
quote unquote TV. I don't watch TV. We don't. I don't even own a TV that has channels. Um, I mean, we have a DVD player and uh, we watch Netflix every once in a while. But you know, why why watch any channel? Well, I watch channels that I have uh, come to know are theologically sound. Um, I, so in other words, and I've talked about this a lot, who are the people that I watch? Well, I watch, uh, John Piper often. I watch, uh, RC Sproul very often. I watch John MacArthur. I watch now Chan, you know, Chan has gone off into some interesting views of community and, and, uh, He's, he's, you know, he's got some, some issues here or there, but I, I watch Chan. Um, who else do I watch? You know, uh, Wretched every once in a while. Wretched's fun. Um, so, yeah. And I think that the reason that people are drawn to Messiah Matters, well, Rob has certainly done, is, Rob's no slouch. Rob has done his, his uh, homework uh, literally uh, he has a uh, master's in comparative religions from UW and uh, is, is teaches Greek and uh, certainly could teach a Hebrew class uh, and has does teach a Hebrew class. Um, so he's very well versed in the languages. I'm a, one of his students, and so I think that the uh, draw comes in the fact that there's a theological grounding that we have that is founded upon... Um, well, we believe the scriptures, obviously, but uh, it's been tested and, and tried by numerous people who uh, who are well learned within the I would say the Torah movement, um, not within the Hebrew roots movement, but within the Torah movement. And uh, yeah, so I think that's why people listen to the, to this show. You know, it's interesting because what you're discern what you're talking about, Caleb, is it gets into authority, which is our one of our topics. It's like right. like if I'm just brand new and I go to YouTube and I pull up a search. These are all, it's like everybody's opinion is equal, right? And at some point I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to watch this. I, I've got 10 minutes. I want to watch a YouTube video. I'm going to watch this and not that, right? You have to, at some point, somebody in the viewership who's brand new is going to decide I'm going to watch this and not that. And but the that question comes- is, what is the appeal? Is, 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 are you following, is it? a a just a simple curiosity is it a conspiracy theory and it's if someone has an appetite for conspiracy theory and they're never actually going to search a matter out and own a position and to stand for for scripture meaning something then they're just blowing around they're just like they're like the ship that's out on the ocean but isn't it interesting though that 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 People like, okay, what is the the barometer? Ultimately, it's the Bible. But there's so many different interpretations of the Bible. There are people who listen to our show, who listen, and and uh, somebody even the in the uh, in the <laughs> in the chat room says, I watch the others to find out what people are listening to, so I can answer them. I watch you for a number of reasons. All good. You help keep me grounded. No, but there's the reverse as well. There are people who listen to us just so that they can respond and because they disagree. They know they disagree. They disagree. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. So I think That's it fine. comes I think it comes down to and you know, we could say that about denomination as well. You know, do the Lutherans watch the Methodists? 
do the Pentecostals watch the Baptists? I think that I think that ultimately the answer is yes, and not always to disagree with them. For instance, I watch R.C. Sproul probably the most. I like Sproul. I think Sproul's mind was just unbelievable. God gave him a gift like like nobody's business. Sproul was was Presbyterian, and so I'm not Presbyterian. However, uh, you know, I listen to Sproul for theolo- because I think that in so many ways he's theologically grounded. Now, there's obviously certain things I'm going to disagree with, um, but those things I think are somewhat peripheral. There might be bigger issues and lesser issues, those kind of things. But yeah, it's a great question, though. Um, you know, I think that every. <laughs> Yeah, I um, yeah, I don't want to get off onto a different tangent. Okay, let's uh let's move on. So, did you wa- did you want to say more about uh you know, because you posted something on Facebook, there was a lot of interaction and you were kind of venting to me some of the things that you noticed about that interaction. Did you want to mention that you know? Oh, I, well, it was I I don't know that I was Well, there were some stra- there were some strange things that happened. You know, I wasn't anticipating, but I asked people what they, how they thought about Yeshua's statement to the Sadducees concerning their challenge about the doctrine of resurrection, how he said uh, in, uh, it's in like Matthew, I think 22, and then there's a parallel, I think in Luke, maybe chapter 20, I don't have it in front of me, but it's um, that in the resurrection there, they are, they are like the angels, Meaning they are not, and and they are sons of God. So the idea is that in Yeshua's description there, that the the sons of God are different than angels, right? And I'm thinking, well, if does that differentiation hold true? Did Yeshua? How did Yeshua understand sons of God in quote the Old Testament? And um, there's one lady she posted like four or five Dr. Heiser videos, like. <laughs> And I told her, I said, you know what, I'll leave one up, but I'm not going to, I'm going to delete these other ones. If so, you know, we'll, you don't have to pepper. I'm asking for your opinion, you know, first off, I'm not asking for people to put links up to someone else's opinion. Um, So that was a frustration. It was like, I'm, I, the specific question was, what do you think? Right. What are your thoughts? And people, you know, go to, you know, this teacher says X, Y, and Z. You're more gracious than I am. And the reason why is because on, on our YouTube, technically speaking, the Messiah Matters YouTube channel is my personal channel. It, it's my channel. It's not to our resources channel. It's my channel. And therefore, I kind of hold the keys. I don't allow any outside links in comments. <clears throat> if there's an outside link, I delete it instantaneously. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, you know what? I'll leave one up here because it's not, it's, like it okay you know it's, i'm not worried about it but uh any event uh and there there were some it, i thought it was really there was a couple threads i thought that were very helpful for clarifying hearing people's thoughts what's amazing to me is this assumption you know back to the gen we get down to the same thing it's this genesis 6 and this um these two verses in job job 1 verse 6 and job 2 verse 1 where it talks about the the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God. And, uh, you know, if you look at the Septuagint in the Torah in Genesis 6, they just, the Greek just translates the Hebrew. It just says sons of God. But in the Greek of Job, it translates the angels. Uh, 
when and so there's like oh there's a, even though the hebrew's the same the greek is different and what we're seeing is that it this is in the hellenistic era the it's presumed by what we know that the torah was translated into greek first by its own team of scholars sometime in the third century bc and other books of the bible we wrote how they came into greek we don't know and sometimes there's more than one greek uh recension right so it's more complicated with the rest of tanakh and job would fall into that category job's translation into greek um but what one comment was well it's the sons of god in the old testament means angels sons of god in the new testament means believers in christ so that was one understanding one idea that was discussed and i thought well where do we get this idea that genesis 6 is talking about angels or non-humans and it, it it goes back to the hellenistic era it's it's uh, interpreting it through the lens of greek mythology um and you know we have all these things we have ish elohim like a man of god like moses moses david is called the isha Elo, isha elohim we have nasi elohim abraham's called the prince of elohim but but some reason when we get to b'nai uh elohim in genesis 6 we have to say those are angels right but even malak even the word malak which if you talk to a hebrew student and you say hey what's the hebrew word for angel they're going to say malak right but even the word malak in the same in job chapter one is used for a human right a human messenger and so um so so the idea is is much more complicated and my my uh uh you know my concern with people pushing enoch as the as the interpretive key to understanding yeshua um and there's something about mount mount hermon and the angels that made this supposed pact there and it's like the book of uh, enoch talks about it's it's nonsense you know, it's not the background to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, if Yeshua wanted his disciples and wanted us to to understand that he, we wouldn't understand the Gospel without the without the Book of Enoch, then he would have built his house that way. We would have some sort of right. story of Enoch. So but, the the chat room wants to know what what your belief is on on this term. They're humans. I agree with you. They're humans. It's that's you, you just have to read from the beginning of Genesis and you look at the use Elohim, Elohim. That uh, Adam and Eve are called. You know, they they are like Elohim now. You have Enoch walks with Elohim. Noah walks with Elohim. These are humans. That now with Enoch, Enoch was taken. Right. Enoch was a was a. It says he was a. Uh, uh, what does it? I don't know if it says he was a pre, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but Enoch, you know, he walked with God. And and we we see that. So Enoch is a good guy. He's a he's a he's a um, one of the exemplars of of faith, you know, in Hebrews eleven. But it's not. But all the mythology around Enoch needs to be needs to be separated 
from what we learn about Enoch from the scriptures. And, and it's, it's, this is the problem. The problem is with humankind that right. even though, so the B'nai Ha'elohim, these are, are those who knew the, knew the, the story of the creation. They know who God was. They knew the story of creation and the fall, etc., and they had authority because of it, and they they uh, abused their power. Now, there's different ways of understanding the the what it meant that what it says lakach that they took wives from whomever they chose. Some think that that could be like the what they call the right of the first night, like if there's a, a you know that the, that they were taking women and, you know, before their marriage kind of thing. Um, and there's stuff that could be, we could be getting into on that. But the point is to the idea that I have to come and impose, this is an angelic being here. There's, it's like out of left field from reading Genesis from the beginning. So we have and, an, inter we have an interesting question in the, the chat. Well, I had one more thought I got distracted Go from. The problem is it is what the Lord says there. It says, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart are only evil continually. And he's, and it's, it's the problem with humankind. There's no, there's no blame of, you know, the humans are not victims of an angelic rebellion, right? This is, this is what's happening here is for a judgment on humans because of the fall and the evil of the human heart, and that God's spirit will not uh, reside with him forever. He's flesh. There's a pro it's The problem is between spirit and flesh in a human. And that's no different than the problem now. Um, okay, so we have an interesting uh, comment in the chat room. I agree, however, and we've answered this several times in several different videos, but we'll answer it again because why not? I agree, however, how would you answer the claims of Enoch quote of Enoch quoted in the New Testament? I'm talking about Jude. And uh first of all, it's not a direct quote. That's number one. Number two Yeah, well it doesn't say it is written. Yeah, that's it what says I was gonna Enoch say. prophesied and we have a text. And you take that and you you have to know the original languages. You have to put it up against Aramaic fragments from Qumran and the Greek from what we have is the Greek Enoch and compare them. Put them column by column and you'll see, wow. If, he was, if Jude was quoting from a written text, A, we don't have the text. B, or he did it totally sloppily. Or it was an oral tradition that a whole bunch of people knew by heart and it floated around in different communities and it changed shape, you know, from community to community. Well, and Paul quotes the pagans. That doesn't mean that it's scripture. I don't understand this, this idea that just because somebody's quoted, uh, sure. well, in but New it Testament is, he books, says, you know, hang on, just this, I, hey, well, well no, hang prophecy. on, I'm, I'm still talking. I am still talking. <laughs> okay, go, go. I don't understand the uh, the the idea that just because it's it's uh, quoted in the New Testament, all of a sudden it has to be considered scripture. That's ridiculous. So, you know. Okay, now that's you can right. talk. And, and the other thing is this: is that do we look at if we go to Ugaritic? Now we're going to use Canaanite mythology of the Council of the Gods and say that that is this template 
that the Psalms, like Psalm 82, and that's how we're supposed to understand <clears throat> ancient Israelite thought is by, because they're borrowing, right, things from Canaanite literature. Okay, uh, we have one follow-up question. Somebody says, yeah, I totally agree uh, and get that, but when does something go from oral authoritative to written authoritative? We don't have anything as oral authoritative. What God, what God believed was authoritative got written down. We know this because it gets written down by God first on Mount Sinai, and then Moses writes down, writes down the Torah, and then the prophets write down their books, so on and so forth. All the way into the apostolic scriptures. If you're talking about what becomes authoritative in the apostolic scriptures, we know that they what they believe was authoritative because they they say as it is written, not as it is said. They write it down. They believe that if it was from God, it was written down. The fact that Judaism finally writes down, finally, I don't know if we should say finally, writes down the Mishnah is proof of this. Now, the claim that they say, oh, we had it in oral tradition before, maybe they did, but there's a reason it stayed oral tradition, because it wasn't to be considered scripture. But Okay, hang on. But Jude quoting an oral word that is now written in Enoch is not interesting to, interesting to you. He's quoting to make a point. He's yeah, not but you could say the same thing, Caleb. I could say, hey, um, the Gospel of Thomas quotes a same exact phrase that's in the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, the Gospel of Thomas must be Scripture. Right, just or because— it, I could say the Book of Mormon has a phrase that's exactly from the Gospel— Therefore, the Book of Mormon is Scripture. Is that the logic there? I don't know. I guess so. Just because just because Enoch said something that was true doesn't. I mean, that doesn't make doesn't make Enoch the Book of Enoch Scripture. We could say that about a lot of modern, uh, a lot of modern literature. There's a lot of good modern literature on religious theology that is true. It doesn't make it Scripture. And I can quote it and say, you know, as R.C. Sproul rightly said, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't mean that that R.C. Sproul's book that he wrote is now scripture. And they say, no, the logic is maybe it wasn't only oral. It was it is what I mean. In other words, it was written down. Yeah, that's fine. There's plenty of books that were written down. That doesn't mean that they were scripture. Canonization. See, this I think that this is something that, that is misunderstood. Often, canonization does not come from a book being written down. Canonization comes from the moving of the Holy Spirit within believers to in to, a community of believers. Yeah, yeah, to solidify what is can what was canon, what was not. And this is why when the council closed the closed the uh, the canon, people say, "Oh, some Catholic council chose the canon." That is absolutely false. What they did was they realized that the canon had had been closed because believers had essentially solidified through the moving of the Holy Spirit and the willingness to die for books. You don't see anyone saying, "I'm going to die for the Book of Enoch," but you see people dying for the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, yeah, I understand that the the arguments of canonization. Look, uh, the Jews uh, debated Esther all the way up into to the Talmud. However, I believe that the can the the uh, the Tanakh was canonized uh, before Yeshua was on Earth. But that that's neither here nor there. 
certainly there was disagreements. It's tied to authority. Yeah, it's tied to authority. It's there tied was... to authority as well because you've got communities that endure over a period of time, right? It's not like in today's, you know, in America, you have a messianic community, they meet for a couple of weeks and then they realize they can't, they, they can't get along because, you know, the A, there's no, no one wants to submit to any kind of leadership. Right. And they, they can't agree on some sort of halakhic fine point. And so they, Eve, you know. make, Eve makes a great a great point here. She says, just because the ancient world worldview holds something to be true doesn't make it so. That is my biggest problem with Heiser. Exactly. Just because people might have thought that that something that the Book of Enoch might have had truth to it, but keep in mind, the Jews never. There, we have zero evidence that Enoch was ever canonized. And you're right. Muslims being willing to die for the Quran doesn't make it, it truth. The Holy Spirit had closed, had made it evident that the canon was closed by that time. And the Quran blatantly contradicts the rest of the canon. So these things are ex inextricably, inextricably interwoven. Right. Canon, community, and ruach. And authority. Spirit. Spirit and authority and ruach, because it's it's not that the it's not that there was no ruach at Qumran or that the Sadducees had no ruach or that the Samaritans had there was no ruach in their communities. It just was it the ruach Hakodesh? Right. That's the question. That this is. I was just talking about this the other day with someone. We in the one year Torah cycle last week. It was the the story of the spies, right? And and. What does it say about Caleb? Ha <laughs> ha. Caleb ben Yefuna, right? Caleb. It says he had a ruach acheret. He had a different ruach. And he he didn't go along with the 10 evil of the evil report. He stuck to the truth, the true story. He says, we can go in and do this. God said it. It's good as done. Let's go do it. And it says he had a different ruach. Well, it didn't mean that he was spiritual and everybody else, the other 10 were not. They all were spiritual. It's just that Caleb had the right spirit. They were they were they were following a different spirit. And in the same way, these communities are shaped and grow and are developed through their commitment to each other and to a canon. And that's why if you have someone who's saying no, Enoch's part of scripture, there's I can't fellow there's no there's no fellowship. I could meet with that person and talk with them, but there's I'm not gonna it's just, there's no, it just, it's like, doesn't fit. Okay. Hang on. Just like we have a really good, so, so this is a great thread here. Um, and I'll read the whole thing and then we'll talk about this. Muslims. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Tovia singer makes the point that people will die for Yeshua, but that he thinks that doesn't make it truth. In other words, being willing to die for a book in the Bible doesn't make it Canon is all I'm saying. Do you think, do, do you not think that, is a biased answer. I'm asking humbly. Here's the point, is that you have multiple factors that, that point to canonization. Now, let's start from the beginning. First of all, you have the book of Daniel. Daniel prophesies that the, that the Messiah would be cut off and that the temple would fall sometime after 27 CE. Now, I've done work on this, and there's a lot. You can look in your ESV study Bible. Look in an ESV study Bible. They have a nice chart in there about Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, okay? And, and, and the calculation that brings us to 27 CE, okay? So 
when I and I've said this many times, when I asked a, a Jewish rabbi, it seems as though Daniel prophesies the Messiah coming in twenty sometime around twenty seven C after twenty seven C E and before the fall of the temple. What would you say to that? And his response to me was, we know that that can't be true. And I said, why? And he said, because the Messiah didn't show up before the temple fell. <laughs> that was his logic. Daniel rightly prophesied. So he's, he's reasoning from his position exactly. that Yeshua is not the Messiah. Right. Yeah. So Daniel prof- rightly prophesies the coming of the Messiah. This in and of itself shows the, the truth of the Tanakh, right? And at least of Daniel. We have other prophecies that came true as well. But this obviously shows the truth of the Tanakh. In, uh, in response, Yeshua comes, the Messiah comes. He solidifies the canon of the, of the Tanakh. How does he do that? He continually refers to it, and he refers to it as Moses and the prophets. Okay? And I can give you multiple references on that as well. So we know that the Messiah accepted the, the Tanakh. We also know that the followers, uh, that Yeshua is the true Messiah because it was prophesied and it rightly came true. And we also know that his followers, those who had the truth, were the ones who followed his teaching. Now, those who follow the truth and follow his teaching had the Holy Spirit and through 300 years were willing to die for certain books and not other books. The Holy Spirit was moving in this. And therefore... Tovia Singer can say all he wants, but the fact that he rejects Daniel's prophecy and rejects the Messiah that was so clearly uh, brought by the Father shows that he is incorrect. The fact of the matter is that the Holy Spirit solidifies the canon of Scripture through the followers of the Messiah Yeshua, whom Daniel rightly prophesied. That's one logical um, that's one logical uh, path that I would take. And if you want to say that Daniel is hard to understand. Um, Daniel thought it was hard to understand. Yeah. Daniel, at the end of his video, he says, I don't even, he felt sick and he didn't understand even after Gabriel came and explained stuff to him. And he didn't fully grasp it. For, for, those, for those who are new in the chat room, we have done uh, full shows. I think we did three full shows on Tovia Singer. The one thing that we can say about Tobias Singer is that he is not honest with his audience. He says thing, things all the time that is just a quarter of the picture. He'll give him a quarter and then try to refute it instead of giving him the whole picture. And one of the things that I have to respect about uh, you know good teachers is that what they will do is they will they'll give you every single aspect of it, even the stuff that's hard to explain. R.C. Sproul was really good at this. He would tell you both sides of the of the aisle. Now, some people would say that he was biased towards the other side. Fair enough. But at least he told you what they what the arguments were that were brought up. And then he would try to refute them. Tovia Singer doesn't do that. What Tovia Singer does is he gives you a very, a very small sliver of what believers actually say and believe. And then he knocks it down. It's a straw man. Everything he does is a straw man argument. And it's frustrating. Okay, um, we have a couple minutes left. We have about 15 minutes left. Let's go to... Well, oh, one last point on that. Yes, I, 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 here, here's one of the conflicts. A, a community, as a, in, in local community, 
we have to have coherency of because we're with the basic presupposition that a community that gathers in Yeshua's name is desiring to grow in their discipleship and to be grow in sanctification, right? I mean, I have to start with that. I mean, it's, that seems obvious. Okay. And you have, let's say you have sound biblical teaching. There has to be a, a way of understanding of the, what is the, what is the nature of the battle we're in? What is the nature of sin? And, and this comes into this idea of what we call the, the T of, of the doctrines of grace, total depravity. And in my view, if you start to bring in a book like Enoch or Jubilees and put them, elevate them to from, the, from just this is what these Jews believed in that time to this is the word of God, eternal word of God, you, you are um, distorting and you're obscuring the origin, the story of the origin of evil as given in, as revealed in the Torah of Moses. And now you're attributing human, you're creating a space where humans are the victims of evil angels. Interesting. And yeah. therefore the, the resolution of that problem is different. You've changed the solution by changing the problem. You change the solution. That's right. And, so there's incoherency. And so the people that are promoting Enoch, Jubilees, whatever, and they're insisting that this is eternal word of God, they are, they are incoherent thinkers ultimately, and they should, you do not want to learn from them. You do not want to be discipled by them. You do not want to uphold them as authorities because you're going to replicate, your life will replicate the same incoherency and stunted spiritual good spiritual growth that they're embodying and, and selling and peddling you need uniformity you need clarity of canon you need clarity of of the historical grammatical unpacking of of the scriptures and because that's the, that's what the holy spirit has brought us to and it should be obvious you know it it, it seems like it should be obvious. Um, this is, you know. I mean, for those who are in movements such as, well, you know, one of the things that Mormonism got got uh, got off track on was solidification of the of the canon. The reason that they were able to go off into La La Land is because they didn't agree on the canon. Within other movements such as the Hebrew Roots movement today, you see the same thing certain people are challenging the 66 book canon. The other the other big problem that you have within that movement is the idea that community doesn't matter. So people are are not um not involved in strong communities and good communities that keep that that should help keep people on track on these issues. And ultimately this comes down to good and and biblically sound uh, teachers. If you, I mean, you can have a community of a hundred people, but if you have leaders within that community who are not, you know, who don't hold to a a sixty-six book canon and or are teaching falsehood, guess what? The community is just as sick as the leaders. This is why. Here, here's here's another side. I, I've had um, different language students that I've had over the years 
who are part of different communities in different places. Some are not even, they're not even messianic. You know, they go to a, a Sunday church, but they love Hebrew, for example. Or they're part of a messianic community somewhere else. I've heard the same message. I hear the leaders, well, I go to a Bible study, and what I'm getting is prepackaged, like the thought that someone, like someone went and said, this is what, this is the way to think about this, or this is what somebody thinks. And they hit, they, what they do is they're discerning this difference. They want to talk about the, te- they want to get into the text at the level of the original language. But the, the ceiling provided by the leadership is too low or the door, you know, the door bar is too low. You bump, you can't get in. It's, it's, and so there's a frustration there. And I've heard, I know of people who have left, who's like, I can't come to this Bible study anymore because the, because we have, we're all good friends. Everybody gives along well, but there is a, a spirit of like stupor. Right. That people are there and they're, they, they're reading a Beth Moore book or they're reading a, uh, some other kind of book that's, that's supposed to help them with their, with their life. And what they're thirsty for is the word of the living God just being unpacked and like, like, like Yeshua distributing the bread, right? Here it is, right? And there's basketfuls left over. People want that experience. And you only get that experience by people who are exegeting the word of God directly from the original scriptures, are guided by the Ruach, have, have demonstrated in their life long-term discipline it by the Holy Spirit and have fruits of the Spirit. You know, I mean, it's, it seems like, it seems like kindergarten to say all this stuff, but there's so many people out there that have sowed, they want to sell, they, they want to get seen and discovered, right? So they have some new flash, new sensationalism, but you ask them, what does your life look like? You know, do you, do you, what's your relationship with your kids? What's your relationship with your spouse? What's your relationship with your parents? What are you in community with people? Are you, you know, or if I just interviewed 20 people that have known you over the last 20 years, what are they going to tell me about you? You know, that's the kind of thing that should matter. The biggest, I, I, yeah, I think, I think that one of the things that, that the, um, that many churches today and, um, well, yeah, just, just communities in general, one of the, two of the things that they have uh, lost focus on, number one is the gospel. If the gospel is not being preached within your church on a weekly basis, something is, is wrong, number one. Number two is love. The scriptures tell us that, that they will know that we are, are followers of the Messiah because we love, because of our love for one another. And guess what? In a lot of places, we don't see it. Now, that's obviously not a blanket statement. There are plenty of churches and and uh, groups and communities of believers around the world that, that truly have a heart for each other and love each other and love others outside of the community and so on and so forth. But there's this chipping away within communities it's more about I know or I know better or, you know, pride sneaks in, all these kind of things. 
that replaces love. And that part of, and you know what? This is part of the temptation to just like, and I know some people have done it. They just like, I'm, I'm totally getting off the internet. You know what I mean? Like I'm off Facebook. I'm off the, all this. And I'm just, I'm going to just zero in on local community and say, I don't do, I don't do social media, you know, because, and then, and then let it be word of mouth. Let your, let your community grow by word of mouth and let people vote with their feet, you know, and, and build community because the internet has, with all its great access to information, it's just, it's because it's that yes machine, it's never going to tell you no. And we need to be told no. And, and we're, we don't get no from the internet. We get a giant yes. And that's not good for the soul. It's not good because you, we're just satisfying the lust of the soul rather than being afflicted in the soul. And anyway, it's just, it's, you know, what do you do? Can you build what kind of, you know, and that's one of the challenges with like with our online school is how do we build up? How, how do we use the internet so that we can build up people? And this is like what we try to do with Messiah matters. How can we use this forum we have to offer edification, assistance, guidance, some sort of forum for Yeshua's flock in the in this world where there's so much noise. And it's tough, you know, it's, it's tough work. It's not easy. It, it You know, we're, we're not doing the sensational thing because it's a, it, it's a, it's a repulsive. <laughs> it's repulsive to, to jump and sell out in order to, to, you know, I don't know. I, I can't explain why people do what they do, but the stick with the canon, stick with the, the good old 60 book, 66 book canon. And if you want to grow, if you, if you're unsatisfied with it, then get a different translation and start learning the original language. I love, you know, we just finished our first year Greek. And at the end of, of Dr. Mounts's uh, beginning of, uh, basics of biblical Greek. He says, you know, people have always said, you know, learning Greek, it's so hard. And he's like, you know, it's just, he always comes back. He's like, it's like anything. It's like anything in life that you want to get good at. It's going to take work. But he also says, learning the biblical languages is like, learn. it can be viewed this way, that you're growing in more intimate communication with your creator because you're, you're learning the lang- you're looking behind the screen of the translation and you're learning to discern what's what's actually there with your own eyes and that should be a natural desire at some point in our discipleship to just learn a little bit about the original languages and to see it as valuable it doesn't mean you have to master biblical hebrew or greek Okay, so um, two things. One, for the people who are asking about the article that I wrote on Metatron, you can email me. I wrote it actually for one of Rob's classes. It's called Meg. It's called uh, Megatron, Bumblebee, Optimus Prime, and Metatron. One of these things does not belong. I'd be happy to email it to you. Yeah, that's um, right. at is my email address. Um, and then uh, Gary says, "What happened to women in leadership?" 
uh, Rob happened to women in leadership. That's why we didn't get to that. Oh. Rob, Rob's Rob's off on different. T- he he has stuff on his mind. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I can tell you this: what uh, may you that can, always be true? You can what you can do is this: you can, in terms of uh, leadership qualifications, that was the email that we got. You can look at First Timothy three. Uh, Paul gives us exactly the the leadership qualifications for an elder and or a deacon. If you'd like to know uh, a in-depth look 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 at women in leadership, you can go to torahresource.com, go to the articles section, and look for women in the Messianic Assembly. Um, we also have a uh, video uh, product on that that you can purchase if you'd like to hear an entire uh, hour-long lecture on it by my father, who has done work on that as well. Another good, if, if I could plug one more, is just I will build. It's a book I will build my ecclesia that right. gets into. If you want to look at it from the, you know, the what do you call it, the twenty thousand foot view, where you uh, looking at all the aspects of the ecclesia and then see the place of women within that larger stream. Exactly. Um, so we're taking time off. We don't know how much time we're going to take off. It's going to be a summer pray break. Pray for Caleb, new yeah. baby number three on the way. Pray for my wife. I think she's the one who needs prayer more. Yeah. Um, but we sure do appreciate everybody's prayers. And <laughs> all right. Uh, well, until next time, which could be a, a little bit from now, uh, we hope that this. So Caleb, will you com- post uh, on our Facebook page when when? I start baby's born. Everybody has to remember that Rob can't hear the music. So I'll stop oh. it. And yeah. Um, yes, I'll, I'll post. I'll post on something. Um, I'll, you can follow. Actually, the very first place that I'll post will be on uh, the Growing in Messiah uh, Echo Feed. So there's a plug. If you want to, you can follow us. You can follow my wife and I. Uh, get the Echo Prayer app. And then uh, if you go to Feeds, you can go to Growing in Messiah and um, you can follow us there. That's where you can. Uh, that's where we'll post it first and foremost. Is in our Growing in Messiah Echo feed. Um, yeah. All right. Here we go. We hope that this conversation on one thing. What is that? That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. 